Welcome to episode number one of Financial Matters with Richard Oring. I am John J. Gay. Richard, I'm excited to get episode number one off the ground here with you. Hey, John, it's great to start this. So, Richard, I know you mentioned this in the trailer. Your background is not the same as a lot of people in the financial world. You have a different perspective than many because you started in the accounting world. Is that right? That is correct. I started working for a mid-sized accounting firm. They brought me in to do the financial planning. The problem is doing financial planning for a tax firm during tax season, you get thrown into the wolves and you have to prepare the 1040s also. Out of the pot into the fire, right? That's correct. All right. So one thing I want to start with in our first episode here, we're going to focus on expectations. So coming from that accounting background, what do clients typically expect from an accountant when they're working on their 1040? They usually expect the accountant or the CPA to prepare the 1040 correct. Right. That would be a good place to start. Yeah. <laughs> the last thing you want to do is open a letter from the IRS. It's not, it's not a good feeling. You expect them to remind you of the due dates. Do I have to pay estimates? If I don't have a 1040, I have a business return. When's that due? A foundation return. You want to make sure they're available to talk to you when you need them. Yeah. If possible, you expect them to save you some money, some tax liability. You don't expect a tax surprise. No, not at all. That's why you're hiring them in the first place. That's correct. That's the worst thing to get is getting your tax return done, then finding out you owe a lot of money, then trying to figure out how to pay for it. Yeah. The next thing is, especially last year when we saw it, you expect them to keep you up to date on the tax legislation and how that's going to affect you. And that is such a big thing too, because like you said, in the last year or two, we've had so many changes. It really is important to go to a professional. So what happens most of the time when things go smoothly, when you're dealing with an accountant? Well, first off, I like to think there's two kinds of accountants. The, the ones who are professional, they have firms, they got staff, they make time, and they prepare the returns properly. And then during tax time, you see all these little shops opening up or people you know come to my house, I'll prepare your tax return for 50 bucks. <laughs> Let's not talk about them as much. Let's talk about when you're going to a professional. Those guys are the equivalent of all those like spirit Halloween stores popping up in every abandoned strip mall this week all through the month of October. Where did that come from? That hasn't been here very long. That's exactly the same. <laughs> so most of the time you go, you drop off your tax material or you um, you mail it in. Usually there's two kinds of accountants. They prepare the tax return while you're sitting there or you drop it off and you come back later or get it mailed back to you. Mm -hmm. Most of the time I want to say they're accurate, but a lot of times what they're not giving you is the planning side of the tax return. Mm -hmm. They're swamped. They're doing a couple hundred thousands of tax returns. They're working seven days a week. They're usually starting first thing in the morning and not getting done till one, two in the morning and they're exhausted and they have due dates to get it, get these done. And what's even crazier is as the investments with K-1s and stuff like that, a lot of the returns can't even get started till almost near the end of the tax season for them. So they're, they're swamped. At that point, it becomes more of a factory and it's more about quantity than quality. Correct. There are some good firms, usually cost more money, where they give you some advice afterwards. They'll talk to you. They'll sit down with you. That's not the, the accounting firm where you're hiring to do a return for $100 or even $600. Yeah. Um, those are usually, you know, when you're getting into the price point of a couple of thousand, you have a business return and your individual return. That would be what you would expect. And you also mentioned earlier, most of these firms that do it right, they'll remind you of the due dates, right? Sure. A lot of the bigger firms out there, they have uh, more expensive software, which is automated. They put your your information in, and you'll get automated emails usually saying, don't forget to pay your estimates. But, you know, even when I was in the tax practice, um, I sold my tax practice in 2011. Mm -hmm. We didn't do that. We prepared estimates with due dates, and we gave them a cover sheet with the instructions on when to follow that. 
the newer updates with the programs do some automation to remind clients if they turn that on. If they turn it on, that's key. <laughs> <laughs> if they turn it on. If you have a good accountant, you're right. They're going to be very busy. They're going to be preparing hundreds or even thousands of tax returns, but they need to be available, right? When I had a um, tax practice, I wasn't the cheapest guy out there. I limited how many returns we would take it mm -hmm. because I wanted to have a certain level of service. Sure. I wanted them to have a certain level of service to expect from me. I prided myself on calling back clients, responding on a timely fashion. I still pride myself on that. I look at my business almost like a hospitality business. It's what the client feels from working with me. When they leave me, how do they feel? You know, I want that to be a positive feeling. But you'll see a lot of accounting firms, you leave a message with the front desk or an email, and you're not getting responses back right away. It might take a couple of days. It might take a second phone call because they're swamped. They're doing tax returns. Usually, you're not going to see a quick turnaround. Some big firms sometimes have their assistants or a junior accountant respond back on their behalf. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, someone who really knows what they're doing, they're going to try to save you some money, right? Well, you would think that. <laughs> like I said, you would think that, you know, I love tax season. I love getting the phone calls. You are the only own. one. You're the only person I've ever talked to that has said that. I love when my clients call me and complain about their accountants because I'm not doing it anymore. Okay. I love hearing it because they're like, why did my accountant tell me this? Like, I'm surprised. Why do I owe eight grand this year? I never owed that much. You know, they, they blamed it on the tax legislation. I go, well, did you hire them for tax planning or did you hire them to prepare a tax return. Big difference. And then they scratch their head and they don't knew there was a difference. Mm -hmm. You know, you go to, to most accounting firms, you give them your stuff, your engagement letter states that they're going to prepare a tax return. Has nothing about tax planning. That's a totally different item for a lot of accounting firms. The other thing is a surprise tax bill. So let's just scratch out last year's with the new legislation. Usually the accountant prepares a tax return if you owe money over a certain amount, he might prepare estimates. If it was a one-time situation while you owed the taxes, he'll take that out so you don't have to pay the estimates. Mm -hmm. So what causes a surprise? Here's the best thing about being a financial advisor. We never get blamed. <laughs> we caused the damage. Maybe we took some short-term gains, long-term gains, and we never told the client. We never told the accountant. Accountant prepares the return, has to notify the client they owe money, and they get blamed. <laughs> Because they're the ones saying you owe money, not the planner. Correct. So I usually try not to put my clients in that situation. I let my clients know what their short-term and long-term gains are if they're different than the previous years so they can notify their accountant to um, adjust their estimates. Got it. So with your clients, Richard, how important is it to have a relationship with them and their accountant? I usually send out a form every year asking for permission to get copies of the tax return when it's after it's prepared. Mm -hmm. When I'm working with clients, I like to do my own tax projections based on the income I'm generating in the portfolios. The last thing I want to do is uh, maybe there's a credit or deduction they can take, but I take too much gains or long-term or short-term and they phase them out. Or like rental losses, you know, with a rental loss, it's limited based upon your income. And if I push them over that income limit, they may not be able to take a rental loss. Mm -hmm. So I'm very sensitive to that. And since I don't have a tax practice anymore, I like to work with their accountants. So I like to keep them up to date if something's different or if I need to take a big gain, I'll call their accountant first to find out if I should do that or not. I also like to be able to maximize tax brackets. So if we have a client in a low tax bracket and I could take um, 
gains at 0% tax liability or qualified dividends, or maybe maxing out a tax bracket with a um, IRA distribution. Mm -hmm. They're in a low tax bracket for one or two years. I want to see how much I could take out before pushing them up. So I like to run my tax projections and then send them over to their accountant to review since I'm not an accountant anymore. That makes sense. So we talked about what your expectation should be for your accountant. Now that you've kind of crossed over to this side of it, what should your expectations be for your investment advisor? Well, it's interesting you say investment advisor. You didn't say financial advisor. You know, you said investment advisor. And there's a big difference between the two of them. And I think that's important to clarify here. Yeah. So an investment advisor to me is someone who invests assets. Mm -hmm. They take your money, they put them in portfolios and they manage them. It could be mutual funds, ETFs, stocks, bonds, many different REITs. It could be totally different investments. And you hope that they're sitting down with you and they're going over your risk tolerance and your goals and explaining a fee base or a commission type of account and what's best for their situation, time horizons, surrender charges, and so forth. Mm -hmm. Um, That's an investment advisor in my eyes. Then there's a financial advisor. A financial advisor is usually documenting more information about the household, their retirement goals. Maybe they have to pay for a wedding, more in depth about risk. Liquidity is big, estate planning, insurance planning. Um, There's a lot more to a financial planning relationship. And what's interesting is a lot of people, they go to um, an investment advisor, maybe the local bank, and they don't need financial planning at that time. Mm-hmm. They're working with them five, seven years. And now it's getting a little bit closer to retirement and they want to make an appointment and they go to the bank and they sit down with their investment advisor and they say, hey, I want a financial plan. So, you know, the reality is we're all in sales. The investment advisor is not going to say he can't do it. Right. He's going to scramble. Usually there's very basic goal-based planning, which a financial plan you could do in 15 minutes to a half hour. And they'll present something which is 12 or 15 pages long with a lot of colorful graphs and <laughs> present it to the client as a financial plan. Trust me when I tell you this, that's not what financial planning in my mind is. Uh, financial planning, first off, it's understanding the client's expectations, their goals, developing a plan, testing the plan, um, running different scenarios, probabilities, and then having that relationship going on and on with the client on an ongoing basis, having meetings and adjusting it. It's not just a financial plan. It's the relationship you're building and understand the client's needs. You are in the business of relationships. So some of these investment advisors, Richard, they just you know buy and sell investments based on your risk tolerance, but there's a lot of things you could be missing out on in that situation, right? I manage at one point over 55 reps, mm-hmm. probably 60 some. I still manage a quite a big group. We're one of the largest offices at our broker dealer. So not only am I working with my own clients, I'm also supervising and coaching other advisors. And I get to see everything out there which is really cool. Yeah. There are investment advisors who have like a model for every single client. Percentage of their money is going to go into some type of annuity. Some of it's going to go into mutual funds. Some of it might go into CDs. It's a one-stop shop for all of them, just based upon the percentages and then the risk tolerance. That sounds like a terrible idea. Well, if you go to the bank, they have approved list of funds. Usually yeah. not all banks. I don't want to say every single one of them, but a lot of them have approved lists like client comes in this amount of money with this risk, this is what you're putting them in. Mm-hmm. It's no different. Um, I would say that's actually probably more common in our industry than customizing portfolios for clients' needs and trying to figure out portfolio structure for taxes and so forth. But that when you mention now portfolio structure for taxes, that's where you have a leg up on some other folks because you have that knowledge from coming from that world, right? 
first off, my tax background, and I'm also up to date on the newest products out there. Like the separately managed accounts used to be only for the high net worth clients. It used to be that you needed at least 500000 plus money in each account Jeez. to build a diversified portfolio. Because of technology, they were able to bring those uh, minimums down much lower, sometimes as little as 25000 to 40000 So you don't need as much to get a diversified portfolio with stock ownership using a separately managed account. Got it. So, you know, we talked about some of this, the difference in investment advisors and financial planners. What should a client really be thinking about when they're walking in to meet with an advisor, you know, or a planner in terms of expectations? What are some of the things they should be thinking about when they start the relationship? What they expect out of that advisor. You know, the biggest complaint is I don't ever hear from my advisor. Yeah. Ask him, when will you call me? Mm. How often are we going to meet? What will my portfolio do on a down market? You know, what should I expect in volatility? How much am I willing to lose? Um, they should be able to explain those things to you. They should be able to explain the fees. Nothing's free. Right. In our industry, a lot of people don't, you know, you sell a commission product or a product where it's a contract and we get paid by the company, the insurance company. Sure. And the client never sees the fees. Mm-hmm. Well, ask. You should know. If I'm buying a half a million dollar variable annuity, and I find out later that you made $35,000 in an hour, <laughs> they might be questioning it. I think you should have an understanding what you're getting, what you're paying for, what products they're, what they can sell you. Not every single investment advisor or financial advisor or financial planner can sell the same thing. There's different licenses. If you're a series six license, you can't sell stocks or individual bonds. You're limited to mutual funds, mm-hmm. variable products. Do they use variable annuities or fixed annuities in their products? Ask these questions, what they use to build the portfolios. Ask them how they assess risk. I think the biggest thing, you know, working with any professional is feeling comfortable to have that conversation about anything. I think I've seen those, uh, they have some public service announcements from the health department about visiting the doctor and it talks, shows people really aggressive asking certain questions in certain situations. And then they walk into the doctor's office and it says, anything you want to ask me about? Yeah, I'm good. It's the same analogy with a financial person when you want to talk to them and say, you know, don't be afraid to ask the questions. And there's even documents that you can ask for, right? And statements from them that, to outline the relationship, right? You know, once they come on board, there's usually a lot of things I want to see, like social security statements, tax returns, things like that. People ask me, what do I do as a financial advisor, mm-hmm. financial planner? Yeah. You know, they say, what does a financial planner do? It's simple. I have a husband and wife sitting across me. I ask them the questions they should be asking themselves but life is too busy. Yeah. They don't take time to sit down asking, hey, where do you want to retire? What schools? How are we going to save for this? You know, where's our risk? You know, what kind of estate planning should we do? They don't make time because they're raising their kids. They're cooking dinner. They're running off to work. They got errands, doctor's appointments, camp, soccer, baseball, <laughs> you name it, swimming lessons. They don't take time to worry about their own household sometimes. So I ask those questions. I document it for them. I give them plans. I give them accountability. I could show them that this can work. The best part is when you have a husband and wife and one of them makes a little mistake in life, you know, maybe credit card debt, gambling, and the other one doesn't know. Oh. So before you see a financial advisor, clear the air, let your spouse know everything because I want to find out. And if you're not honest with me, it's going to affect the plan anyway. Absolutely. And yeah, that's something you want to make sure you're on the same page there before, uh, before you bring in a third party. But that third party like you has that outside perspective to say, hey, you know, maybe you've been so caught up in the day-to-day, here's the 30,000-foot view, and say, okay, let me think about 
what you're going to do for the future. Think about it from this perspective. Think about this idea. Have you thought about this? That is so important. And sometimes they never thought of it and they leave, you know, challenged and they have conversations at home. A great one is getting them ready to get their estate planning documents. Something happens to both you. Who's going to watch your kids? Yeah. Who's going to be your guardian? And it's interesting to see the reaction because it's usually one brother or the other brother from the other side or sister. And then you get to see some really good fights. <laughs> Are you crazy? You trust our kids with them? What? You really understand the family dynamics really quick. Yeah, that's true in a lot of situations. You know, so beyond just full disclosure with both each other and with you as the planner, what else would you expect from a client that you can get off on the right foot in a relationship? My biggest pet peeve, so not doing that would be number one. You know, as a financial planner, we don't have due dates. Mm-hmm. You hire me to do a financial plan. It could be done next week. It could be done three months, six months, eight months, nine months, two years from now. Mm-hmm. So what happens is clients come in, they're all excited. Um, Sometimes it's peer pressure. Something happened in the household. One spouse says, we need to get help. I want a third party to help us with this. We can't do it on our own. And the other spouse may not be 100% committed yet. We start having the first meeting, the conversations, and we get everything started. And I have to develop a financial plan. So I get 70% of the material. And then all of a sudden, I stop hearing from the client. I'm emailing, um, leaving voice messages. Maybe I get one of the 10 things I need this week, another thing next week. That's really annoying because what's happening is I'm planning out my day, sure, my workload. And if I have to stop what I'm doing to start something else and realize I don't have everything, it just prolongs everything and wastes my time. So, you know, if you could imagine, you know, got many clients and when I'm doing a financial plan, the first thing I have to do is review all my notes first mm-hmm. so I can make sure I understand who I'm working on, what I'm working on, any special situations. So that might take me 15, 20 minutes alone just to start working on the financial plan. And then I start entering the stuff you give me. And then I realize I'm missing half the stuff I asked for. Then next week, I get another few more pieces in and I start that whole process again. And then I realize I still can't finish it. <laughs> so when you make that appointment, to see your financial advisor. And you know what? This could be your lawyer or a financial advisor or your life insurance specialist. Be prepared to hire them and give them everything on a timely fashion. This way they can start and finish, especially if you're paying by the hour. It's going to cost you more money if every time they touch your stuff, they have to spend 15 minutes reviewing it first. So obviously that's a good point, Richard, is you don't want to have to chase people down for things. It's going to cost them more money. It's going to cost you more time. And it's just a frustrating situation for everybody involved. And then, of course, the last thing you would want is to have to try to guess at what somebody wants, right? Yeah, I mean, making assumptions is horrible. You know, we never want to assume. We know what the word assume turns into, yep. Exactly. The first step of a financial plan is creating what I call a base plan. Mm -hmm. That's with everything we know. I can't do anything else unless I have the basic plan done of what we know today. Sure. So any scenario planning, dreams, goals, anything like that is irrelevant until I get the basic plan done. So there are times where I will see a client with missing one piece of information, but I won't print it. I won't sign my name on it. It's just so we can start the conversation and show them the importance of getting that information so that we can start the planning process. Right. It's almost like, all right, we're ready to go, but we can't move forward until you give me this. Exactly. So obviously you want as an advisor to develop relationships with your clients, enjoy working with them, people you enjoy working with, and then managing their expectations can sometimes be difficult, I'd assume. The hardest thing in my job is managing expectations. Mm -hmm. 
especially when you have a husband and wife and they each have different expectations <laughs> for the same account. Managing money is a discipline. Yeah. As long as you don't divert from your discipline, you're going to be okay. Gathering goals and risks for clients is a discipline. As long as you, um, you don't change your process, it'll work. But what the client expects from you, you can't control unless you communicate. You know, and I don't take every single person yeah. as a client anymore. When I first got in the business, anyone handing me a dollar bill, I would take as a client. Well, sure. When you start as now, a business, it's hard to say no to anybody, right? Yep. Now, I got to clarify that because we do have compliance in this business. I don't accept cash. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's a big no-no in our business. So I just want to mention that. But, it, you know, when I began, I didn't care about the size of the account. And I didn't care about the personalities of the client. Mm. Fast forward, a lot of advisors will say they have a minimum investment for a client to take them on. Yeah. And I say, I don't have an investment minimum. I do have a minimum though. I have to like the client. Sure. So if I don't like the client in our first meeting, I'm probably going to refer them to another advisor and come up with some reason. But if the phone rings and my assistant says, I got so-and-so on the phone, if I cringe, that's not a good thing. That's a pretty good litmus test right there. <laughs> yeah, it's a good litmus test right there. So I'm very selective on the clients. I don't want to work with clients who are very direct, mean, or... Like just with an attitude. Yeah. I'm just not going to work with them anymore. I don't need to anymore. So I got to like the people I work with. Fair enough. Well, I've liked working with you for this last half hour, Richard. So it's been a good first episode. If anybody wants to get in touch with you as far as their investments and talking to you about uh, their financial plan, what are the best ways to get a hold of you? There's two easy ways. You can always call me by phone, 609-924-2049. My direct extension is 126. If I'm not available, hit zero hit extension 113 or ask for Erica. She's my assistant. She has my calendar. Or you can go to www.ncfg.com. And on the top, there is a meet now where you can schedule time. And it has my calendar linked up there. Um, I didn't mention this earlier. What's really nice is the different ways I meet clients. Yeah. I'm licensed in almost every single state. That means I have a client in almost every single state. And one of the reasons why I have clients all over the place is I was one of the first financial advisors to do web conferencing. Ah. And I bet you I still do over half my meetings over the web than I do face-to-face -face in my office. So if anyone's looking for a financial advisor and they find it's hard to find time to meet with them, even if they live right around the corner because they meet during business hours and you want to be able to meet during your lunch break with your spouse, Web conferencing is a great way to do it, and it doesn't matter where they're located. That's great to know. All right, Richard, it's been great talking to you here in episode number one, and we'll look forward to talking to you next month. Great. Thanks, John. Richard Oring's branch office is 1 Airport Place, Princeton, New Jersey, 08540. The branch phone number is 609-924-2049. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor not affiliated with Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. New Century Financial Group LLC and Royal Alliance Associates, Inc. does not offer tax advice or tax services. Please consult your tax specialist for individual advice. We make no specific comments or recommendations on any tax-related details.